At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Miami now has Tua Tungavailoa. They have Austin Jackson at tackle. And they have the Auburn corner, which is probably the safest way of, of describing that player they have. So... With the three that they got out of the trio of first-round picks. Oh, yeah, baby. Chris Sims unbuttoned in. Yes, the Auburn corner. We might talk about him. We might not. I still don't know how to say his last name. We've already been through this opening, but we had a technical glitch, so we're doing it again, and I'm not an actor, so I can't play along with it as well. Okay? That's what it is. I just talked fucking football. Here we go. All right? So it was a cool opening, but I can't be wrong with it anymore. So that's just where it's at. All right. Igbenogany, Chris. Igbenogany. I've got it. Thank you. It's, uh, it is nice. Pete Demolitaletta said it rhymes with mahogany, and that did help. So one of these days I'll have the guts to say that last name, but I'm not there yet. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Have everybody stay healthy. It's Monday. It's the day or the, the, the Monday after the draft, two days after the draft. But we had a full weekend of football and we're going to hit it all today. I mean, we're going to hit most of it. I know that favorite picks position by position. We're going to hit on some of that along the way. We'll hit some news and notes that went on around the NFL. And then Paul and I both got our top five favorite drafts that we saw this weekend. There certainly was some good ones. I had about I don't know, about 9, 10, 11 teams that I wrote down that I thought were in the, in the conversation for top five drafts. But uh, either way, there's a lot to unpack here, man. And, Paulie, how you doing, big guy? Doing great. Fun weekend of watching the draft. It went very well with the gray and rainy weather that we normally have here in Connecticut. So it was nice to just watch the draft. Before we get into to the picks, the, the way the draft was presented has been getting as much reaction, I feel like, as the actual selections a day or two after. What did you think of, of seeing all the GMs and coaches at their houses and just the way the whole thing was put together? I, I'm pretty awesome. I mean, it really was. First off, for the GMs and coaches to be nice enough to open up their lives, right? And then also the family aspect of it, I thought was really nice too, to see coaches and GMs, kids in the room, and they want to get their chance to get on TV. So all of a sudden they're going to act like they're interested in what dad's doing, even though they haven't cared about him at that computer probably for the previous four weeks. But thought it was really well done by the NFL, by the networks to get something out there to take, you know, all our minds off the reality of the situation right now. And it was fun. You know, other than maybe, you know, I, listen, there was too many analysts at times where I wanted to go, damn, it's one player and we got seven different highlight packages with nine different guys explaining the guy. 
you know, I, and I get that's the way it's got to work sometimes, but that's being nitpicky. Uh, all in all, I thought it was really well done, and I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, really enjoyable to see all the coaches and GMs around their families as they came in and out of the pictures. Took me back to a couple of the conversations I had with GMs to get ready for our conversations in the lead up to the draft. And they said, hey, whenever this normalcy comes back, my days of having my staff come to the office and be there till midnight, uh, Monday through Friday, that's over. I've enjoyed being at home. I've been productive at home. And I think we got a little glimpse of that, a little sliver of that. All the family around there, I think the guys really enjoyed that the last couple of months, albeit for uh, a, a very poor reason to be there. I think yeah. those kind of scenes are going to alter the way some of these guys uh, conduct themselves around the office and what they require for people being around. Yeah, well, th they should. You know, a lot of the way in the NFL right now, as you know, Paul, it's like old, old world thinking still. It's like, you know, in 1974, they stayed in the building till midnight and then they went mm -hmm. home. That was cool. But in 1974, they also had to take like six hours to cut up the tape and make a reel to show for it. So they were doing right. a lot of bullshit. That didn't mean they were coaching and getting done the amount that people are getting done now. And, you know, also we saw two teams in the Super Bowl where it's two head coaches who live the sport, but they're not like, you know, puffing out their chest. You know, like my buddy Kyle Shanahan, who's going like, oh, I was at the office for 20 hours today. No. He does his work. He brings some of his work home with him. He lives it. So it's going to come up again at some point at home, but he doesn't need to be at the office for 21 hours a day. And I think you're right, Paul. I think it's a really good example, or it, it might change some people a little bit to, to relax that you know, culture of, I just got to be the last man standing here in the office, and then maybe I'll get a better job because the coach will see me here so late. I think improved family life around the league could be a, a, a positive uh, splinter off of an otherwise negative situation these last couple of months. So yeah. getting into the draft, yeah. and a, as yeah. we got ready for it, Chris, as you pointed out, we hit every single position, uh, one or two a week, and deep dives into each one of them. We thought a nice way to wrap it up here, or at least the first time we wrap it up here on this day, I want to have you pick your favorite selection from each position. I know that's not easy because you like a lot of the picks. And then after each one of your picks, I want to hit a couple of the themes as we veer off down the different ways that that position group presented us in terms of stories as the draft played out. So we're going to sure. start with wide receiver, 37 taken, Chris. Since the, since the draft was reduced to seven rounds, we've never seen more than 37 receivers taken in one single year. you got a lot to pick from. Which pick was your favorite? Yeah, there's a lot to pick from. And, and just, you know, full transparency, I tried to stay away in a lot of the cases from the top guys. Like, yeah, no crap. I like C.D. Lamb to the Dallas Cowboys. You know, yeah, I, I liked Henry Ruggs to the Oakland Raiders, certainly. But I'm looking for a little bit of, like, guys that I thought were off the beaten path and didn't just get as much credit through the process as they thought and maybe the value of where they're picked, too. So the one that comes right off the bat to me is Pittsburgh with Chase Claypool. That, in the second round, you know, I mean, we both know. We're huge fans of Chase Claypool. I think he's got a chance to be Vincent Jackson, Brandon Marshall, that type of talent. And the Pittsburgh Steelers have a keen eye for recruiting and figuring out value-type wide receivers throughout, you know, Kevin Colbert's history. So that, to me, uh, is one that really jumps out. Probably my favorite one. You know, for him to go, what was that, pick 17 in the second round, 
I think right off the bat, he's going to be the number two receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers and really have a chance, I think, is talented enough to be that go-to guy and maybe even challenge a Juju Smith-Schuster to be the number one receiver for Big Ben. And one of the major storylines, Chris, maybe the storyline coming into the draft when you broke it down into each position group, the wide receivers and how many might go in the first three rounds because of how deep the talent pool was. 17 went in the first three. So I've got some team-oriented themes. I want, I want to go down those roads with wide receivers. But because there were so many and because it was such a big story heading into the draft, is there another second or third round guy you want to point out before we move into some teams? The first pick of the second round, I want to hit on T. Higgins. I thought that was a phenomenal pick by the, the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, a, you know, T. Higgins, he's still young. He's raw. I think he's going to continue to grow and get stronger. I mean, if you look at him, and I mean this by no disrespect, you know, he's got a little bit of a baby face on him. You know, again, we got to remember, these guys are 20 and 21 years old. You're not a full-grown man yet at that age, especially a lot of athletes who have been growing so much since like seventh and eighth grade on, they're really just starting to fill out now. But to me, it made a lot of sense. One, let's get a young guy with our young quarterback and start that bond right now. And you might be able to get a special connection. And then when you have AJ Green and Tyler Boyd and Joe Mixon at running back, now you got like a nice mix of, oh, whoa, I got this Plaxico Burris type receiver over here with my incredibly accurate quarterback who is amazing at throwing 50-50 balls or back shoulder balls to these type of players. I just thought not only was I a big fan of T. Higgins and what he is and what he can be, but I thought it fit well with the way Joe Burrow plays the quarterback position too, and it's something to build on. So I love that pick too. One of the things I like about talking about the draft with you the last couple of years, you kind of see it like me. You're much more uh, likely to be positive than negative. You want to see the glasses half full. And I feel the same way. I want to be excited about these picks and what these teams do. And I hear that in your voice as well. But we go back to Friday and we both felt the same way about the Green Bay Packers selecting Jordan Love in the first round uh, quarterback to maybe someday uh, take over for Aaron Rodgers when they could have gone with running back, tight end, receiver to help him more, to help that team more right now. And we put a cap on that discussion by saying, let's, let's back off for a moment and say a strength of this draft is how deep the wide receiver class is. Maybe we feel differently about what the Packers do come Monday. Maybe they give Aaron Rodgers some, some more weapons. And here we are. They still haven't taken a wide receiver. No, it's Monday, and I feel worse about it because I went, damn, they had two extra days to get a receiver. They had six more rounds to do something. I, I'm, I'm bothered by their draft. I don't know. There's no other way to say that. You know, really, listen, I like A.J. Dillon. He's another guy that you and I got to see in person yeah. this year when Notre Dame played Boston College. Yes, is there some value to him? Certainly. You know, but man, did the run game need to be addressed? You know, I thought the run game was one of the positive things. Certainly could get better. I understand that. And you need a one-two punch. But I'm just, I'm amazed that we didn't address Wide receiver, pass catchers for Aaron Rodgers. Oh, don't worry, Aaron. You just keep carrying the team. No, no problem. And, you know, again, I'll say the same thing that I said on Friday about the defense, too. You know, I, it's almost like, all right, so here's two things. It's almost like the Packers are like, oh, we were in the final four. We're only a player away. No, 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 no. Bullshit. You're not a player away. You're never a player away. And if you're staying the same, you're getting worse. And they didn't do a whole lot of free agency. 
okay? We, we talked about last week how teams ran the ball, the good offenses ran the ball on them at will. That bothers me. Okay, you never address that. You don't have a bad taste in your mouth about the way the 49ers, the 49ers could have ran for 500 yards in that game if they wanted. I mean, they just took their foot off the gas pedal because it was an ass whooping. Yeah, two games. So, right. Two games, games two right? Two games, yeah. So I, I don't understand it. And this is the question I pose to you, Paul. Do you think they draft Jordan Love, let alone trade up and give up other assets to go get a guy that's not going to do anything for their team for the next three, at least the next three years? Do you think that happens if there's an owner in the building in Green Bay? That's the thing that keeps coming back mm. to my head. I haven't thought about it that way. I mean, maybe that would have been the grown-up in the room to say, hey, you know what, guys? Jordan Love is a nice, hey, 2024, that might look great out there at Lambeau Field. But what about the team that made it all the way to the NFC Championship and was clearly not on the same field, literally figured it'll be however you want to say it, with the San Francisco 49ers? And right. that, well, that's, yeah. that's the issue that wasn't addressed. Well, yes, that's the issue that was not addressed. And – you know, I just feel like Green Bay, even though, yes, I know they were 13-3 and three and things were good. You know, I also want to remind them, man, if it weren't for Aaron Rodgers, you're going to be a 10-6 and six or 9-7 and seven team. I mean, we can go through a number of games where I just go, if Aaron Rodgers is in your quarterback, you don't win the game. I don't care what you say. They don't beat the mm-hmm. Bears in week one unless it's Aaron Rodgers. They don't get off to the lead against the Dallas Cowboys and some of the amazing plays he made down there early in that game. To win that, the Lions game, which was, I believe, a Monday night game. No way they win that with Aaron, without Aaron Rodgers. Chiefs was Aaron Rodgers' magic show, making like unbelievable rabbit out of his ass type throws in that football game. And then, of course, the playoff game. They're not in the NFC Championship game if it isn't for Aaron Rodgers just making throws where we go, man, there's only two mm-hmm. or three other guys in the league that could do that. So that's where it bothers me. You know I like Aaron Rodgers. But I also am just bothered by the thought process of the Green Bay Packers in general, even without the Aaron Rodgers subject. Yeah, I agree, Chris. On Friday, it was almost like a knee-jerk anger. And now three days later, it's more of a subdued, I can't believe that that actually happened. I can't believe right. that team didn't get better at that position. There were some teams, and I'm looking at the AFC West, that, that made it a priority and went and accelerated after wide receivers in the AFC West, those teams chasing the Kansas City Chiefs went after it. How do you feel about the Broncos uh, and going the, receiver in the, the first and the second round? Yeah, I mean, I love it. You know, again, I, you know, I, I think we would both agree the Broncos have a serious talent on defense. I mean, Vic Fangio is one of the best minds in the game. You got Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, Jarrell Casey, a bunch of other kind of role player defensive linemen that are very good, uh, that are kind of coming up the ranks whether that be Shelby Harris or they got a kid from Ohio State they drafted a few years back who's a contributor. But, you know, hey, Justin Simmons, one of the best safeties of the game, A.J. Bouye, you know, Bradley Roby's still there. So the defense is real. The thing was, okay, yeah, you got Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton. What else are we going to do? And they go out and get Jerry Judy, who can do it all and is really NFL-ready, game, you know, game-ready right now, route runner, along with K.J. Hamler. I mean, holy weaponry in Denver. I mean, Denver decided to just go, not just we're going to improve the offense, but damn, we're going to get like some real artillery here and be in the conversation for one of the most explosive offenses in football. And I think that's really cool. 
And you also have the Raiders took three wide receivers in the first three rounds. And the Chargers, it, it didn't get as much attention. However, four of their six picks were used on offensive skill positions. Clearly, those three other teams in the AFC West are chasing the offense and trying to keep up on the scoreboard with the Chiefs. Well, yeah, I think there's something to that. And I think two of them, you know, to what we said, too, with like the the Broncos and the Chargers, they really got their defense in place, right? So I think offense was a true area of need. I don't know if it was necessarily like, hey, let's just go out. We're going to let's try to win shootouts against, you know, Patrick Mahomes and company. I don't know if that's really realistic to even think that. But regardless, I think all three teams realize they're going to have to put more of an out offensive output because no matter how good your defense is, just like we saw in the Super Bowl, we saw a really awesome defense. And it just takes Mahomes and company to get, you know, a little hot and they can throw up 21 points in a hurry. So your offense at some point is going to have to answer those bells if you're playing against Kansas City all the time. You can't always just go, oh, we're the Chargers. Our defense will get us through. Oh, Vic Fangio and the Broncos defense will get us through. No, I think, you know, that maybe 50% of the time the defense can keep it at a manageable level. But I think you're going to go other games where Denver, you're going to be like, hey, Drew Locke, um, you're going to have to score 34 today. Hey, Justin Herbert or Derek Carr, we're going to have to score 30-something to win this game. They're hot today. They're going. So uh, I understand the thought process. And, uh, yeah, I thought the AFC West had a good draft just in general. That's exactly the way it played out in December between the Chiefs and Broncos. I don't know the exact score, but the Broncos held the Chiefs well under their average, somewhere in the mid-20s. And all they had to score was a field goal. They didn't score a touchdown, they being the Denver Broncos the entire game. So right. that's not going to get it done. And the no, way they prioritize the early, early rounds really reflects that feeling. Let's move into the offensive line. Six offensive tackles in round one, only one in round two. Uh, not as many as expected interior offensive linemen drafted. Uh, same drill that we did for wide receivers, your favorite selection on the offensive line. Okay. I mean, you know I'm in love with those first three offensive linemen off the board. I really am. And I, I wanted to give, like, the Jets and Mackay Becton the – the title holder here, because I really like what Joe Douglas did. But I think ultimately, and, you know, I don't like to talk about these high picks all the time, but pick number 10 with Jedrick Wills, Alabama, you know, to the Cleveland Browns, one is my favorite pick, because you know that was my favorite tackle in the draft. But two, you know, Paul, I think you and I are on the same page. Like, you brought it up with the Tennessee Titans on Friday. There was a plan. There's something about I mean, this is going to be our identity. They got Jack Conklin and free agency. They got a J.C. Treader and a Joel Bentonio inside to be great interior offensive linemen. They needed another tackle to help Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield. So to me, they went from having like, whoa, it's a good offensive line with Jack Conklin being signed to now it's like, whoa. This offensive line, we better watch out for this. Let's put a little star next to the Cleveland Browns offensive line because when all said and done, they might be in that conversation for one of the five best offensive lines of the game. I like what the Saints did, too. I think they were the first team to go interior offensive line with Ruiz later in that first round. Not a sexy pick, but one that helps Drew Brees for however much longer he's there do what he does in the pocket. Definitely, Paul. I mean, and again, you know – make sure your strength stays your strength, right? The 49ers got Javon Kinlaw because they lost to Forrest Buckner, but we know the defensive line was the reason they got to the Super Bowl. You know, the 49, I mean, the Saints with some of their success, Paul, and it's a, 
a good call by you. I mean, their offensive line the last three years is without question one of the five best offensive lines in the game. I mean, they're amazing with Andrews Keaton, and Ramchek, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Armstead at left tackle. And now you get a center like Ruiz who can play center or guard, whatever you need to do here at first. I think ultimately he's really made for center. But uh, I thought that was a really good pick, too. I like the way you put it, too, because the two things that come to mind with draft philosophy, the ones we've heard for years and years, fill a need or take the best player available. Well, how about keeping a strength a strength, just as you said it? And I think more and more when I look at picks, I, I go to that and I, I applaud at home. When I see teams do that, just like the Saints did there at 24 by going interior offensive line. Okay, we're warmed yeah. up now. We've got wide receivers. We've got offensive line off the board. Quarterbacks. We've got quarterbacks. 13 were selected. I'm ready to hear about any one of them that you count as your favorite pick. Well, you know, I love Joe Burrow, one. I mean, you know, I, of course. I mean, I don't want to be Captain Obvious. We know we love that. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about him. You know, Justin Herbert, you know I got a man crush on him, too. I think the ones that jump out to me, the first one would be James Morgan, the Jets pick in the fourth round. That would probably be the guy that I like a lot, okay? That, that, because... that, that's, that's a bit of a surprise. So <laughs> yeah. we need some details here. Details on, <laughs> on how he got your attention. Yes, well, he was – you know, I had my top five quarterbacks, right, where I had Tua number three, Jordan Love four. I had Eason from Washington five. You see he slipped in the draft. And, you know, the off-the-field reports on, on Jacob Eason are, are not flattering at all. Right. Uh, but that's really the biggest reason. You know, I looked at James Morgan. To me, was that next group down of guys where I went, this guy has a chance. You know, again, I'm not into, like, mid-round and late-round picks where, oh, he's going to be good in the quarterback room. He'll know the playbook. Oh, he'll be able to ready break. He'll be able to break the huddle. Whoa, that's great. But then, like, when you actually are getting paid to play or do something, he stinks or he's average. Morgan has a chance to be something, Paul. There is, like, a big-time arm here. And the Jets need have a backup need. They have David Fales there, and I, I wouldn't trust that. Morgan has a chance to be one of those guys where, yes, a good backup, but also one of those guys three, four years from now, we go, hey, maybe James Morgan's a starting quarterback in the NFL. And that's where I like that pick at the quarterback position. And, you know, I'm federally mandated to ask you about the 53rd overall pick. I'm also very curious to hear what you think about the Eagles in round two selecting Jalen Hurts. Well, I, I, listen, I like a lot about Jalen Hurts. When people just talk about him, Oh, as a quarterback, I want to go, no, he's not a first or second round pick if you're just going to play him at the quarterback position. And I, this is not about the quarterback position for the Philadelphia Eagles. I think they picked this guy for, yes, hopefully he can be our backup quarterback in two years, right? I, they got Nate Sudfeld right now. I think if Carson Wentz got hurt in week three, Nate Sudfeld will be the guy that comes in. But they're going to use Jalen Hurts, you know, in a T Taysom Hill capacity, I think you're going to see him moved around, a slot receiver. He might line up to Carson Wentz as a running back in the backfield on some plays. Hey, here's a toss sweep. Go. Here's a toss sweep. Now, don't run it. Throw a ball down the field. You know, this is Doug Peterson, who we know is very creative and willing to think outside the box. He came from Andy Reid. So, I, you know, I understand it that way. But I don't think this is any threat at the quarterback position by any stretch of the imagination. No. 
Carson no. Wentz is borderline one of the five best in the sport. Jalen Hurts is a developmental prospect of the sport with added incentive of being a weapon for the offense. You, you don't like him as a quarterback to come in and have a chance to, to beat out Carson Wentz. I don't either. Uh, but think about it this way. Just as a second-round pick, late in the second round, to make your offense more difficult to defend, do you like the pick? Uh, nah, nah. Sort of? I don't love it. I, yeah, it's sort of. You know, I, I would have rather say – Let's draft another receiver. I mean, they, you know, again, they talked about Carson Wentz and giving him weapons. And I know they tipped Jalen Rieger in the first round, which, I mean, it's consensus. Nobody would have picked him at 21 except the Eagles. And he ran a slower three cone in 5-10-5 than I did. So I, I don't love that. All right. That, that to me is scary to take a guy like that at 21, let alone he's not a big guy either. So, yeah, I think there were some guys on the board still, you know, that, that, could have, could have been had and certainly helped out that Philadelphia Eagle offense. But, again, I'm not going to be too critical. They have a plan usually in Philadelphia. They know what they're doing. Wasn't my favorite draft from Howie Roseman and company, but nonetheless, I know they're smart and it's well thought out. Quickly, just because it's also a big name and he got a lot of attention over the weekend, Jake Fromm, round five. What do you think? Well, you know, Jake Fromm is the perfect example of a guy that's been built up by, you know, it's, you know, what I, my, one of my favorite sayings, qualifying statements by unqualified people. You know, it's like the sideline reporter in a game was telling us when Jake Fromm was going to be drafted back in October. Like, I, I didn't know that sideline reporter was such a great draft eval and expert, <laughs> you know? So we've been fed that for like, Five months, and we're in this notion again in this country with football right now where if the team's good, the quarterback must be good, right? The quarterback's got to be one of the best in the Georgia. They don't ever lose, so the quarterback, he's a winner. He's got to be amazing, you know, and, and uh, you know, I just hate that crap. You know, he's a, he's a career backup. That's what he is. He's got a below-average arm. He's a below-average athlete. The accuracy is about average. So, you know, again, we have to just get out of this mold of – Oh, my gosh, this team was good, so the quarterback must have been good, too. No. You know, Gina Toretta was nothing special. He was good in college and won the Heisman because his whole team was an NFL all-pro team. You know, um, let me see. Ken Dorsey, he, he was, shouldn't even have been in the NFL, but he got in there because he was on a college all-star team. You know, and then you can go into Matt Leinard and Tim Tebow and people that were overdrafted. And why were they overdrafted? Oh, that's right. They were on teams with NFL all-star teams as well. So, you know, this is, I just, that bothers me. I'm sorry to rant about it. It just, I can't no, help no, it no. it's, yeah. it, it's fun. It's fun to bring up topics that they get a response. And I saw Jake from the Buffalo and I thought it was interesting because it is windy as hell there. It's cold as hell there. It's wet there a lot. And it takes a really big, powerful thrower. I mean, it certainly helps to have those qualities. Look at Josh Allen. And he's such a different type of quarterback in terms of strengths and Josh Allen, it's a big difference when you line them up next to each other. It, it is. It's a big difference. I'll, I'll say this. I think there's some, it's a good thought by the Buffalo Bills. I think it makes sense for them, you know, for Jake Fromm and everything. I like the pick of the Bills taking Jake Fromm there. What was at the end of the fifth round? I do. It was in the fifth, yeah. You know? Yeah, okay. I mean, it, it makes sense. I just, I'm more ranting on that, you know, the, round two and three. Round four and five. I mean, it was 40 minutes on the telecast every day, 50 minutes. It's, I walked out of the room. I'm walking back in. Whoa, we're still talking about Jake Fromm. You know, it's a commercial break. Hey, Jake Fromm's still on the board. 
That frustrated me, but it does make sense for Buffalo. Matt Barkley, he's the backup. You know, you don't know. He might only be there for one more year. He probably will get replaced by a Jake Fromm, who they'll have on a very manageable rookie contract. And, you know, Fromm is experienced and has played. So from that standpoint, he does make sense as a backup quarterback. Bill's made a nice move in round three, I thought, to go running back with Zach Moss. If you want to hit on that, we can. Uh, but this is how we open it up for running backs. Only one in the first round to the Chiefs. I know you love that pick. Five win in round two. Who's at the top of your list for the whole draft? Well, I do like the Zach Moss pick. I do. But my favorite one is Jonathan Taylor to the Indianapolis Colts. You know, I look at that. And then, you know, again, this is another topic that bothers me because I hear a lot of people go, well, Marlon Mack ran for 1,000 yards last year. And Devin Singletary for the Buffalo Bills, you know, rushed for 700 yards and looked good. You know, again, it's not about what the number says at the bottom line. It's about what was there to be had. And I saw so many runs last year with Marlon Mack where I went, that was a 15-yard gain, but the top 10 running backs in football would have got 30 yards. So we can't always just go, oh, look at the yards, 1,000 yards. He's a starter. We don't need that. Jonathan Taylor's special. He's 230 pounds. He'll be one of the fastest running backs in football from get-go. If he sees a crack or a hole behind the blue wall of the Indianapolis Colts offensive line, I just think that's a great combination. They're creative in the run game, and I think that has a chance to be explosive this year. I'm going to read three other big names at running back that went yeah. in round two, and you tell, me, you tell me which one you like the most. DeAndre Swift, early in the second to the Lions. Cam Akers, round two to the Rams. J.K. Dobbins, also second round to the Ravens. Ooh, I like – I mean, I, I'm not crazy about DeAndre Swift to Detroit. Right. You know, first off, they have on Johnson, who's – like the same guy in a lot of ways as DeAndre Swift, except I just want to go, he's a better running back. So I don't, I didn't know there was a desperate need at the position there. All right. So I don't love the pick. I like DeAndre Swift. I love the JK Dobbins to the Baltimore Ravens, like great Scots Batman. Holy hell. <laughs> I mean, you think about that big old line and we're worried about Lamar Jackson on the edge and JK Dobbins is a home run hitter. I mean, he's another one. If he sees a, a hole or a seam, it's going to be to the house. I mean, he's 70, 80-yard touchdowns. He's capable of that. So I'd love that. I like the Cam Akers pick, certainly. I like your yep. Zach Moss thought, too. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think my two favorite were Jonathan Taylor and J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, the Ravens getting Patrick Queen, the LSU linebacker, in round one, and J.K. Dobbins baby. in round two. Uh, it's, it's a tease for what might be coming up in top five favorite teams' overall drafts. I have a feeling the Ravens just might show up on that list tight end Chris not a lot of action it started in round two the Bears going Cole Komet a guy we know very well out of Notre Dame who comes to mind there yeah well I do love Cole Komet you know that I mean we've we've uh, talked about him a lot over the last six weeks we did a good video breakdown I think you and I are in agreement that he's a, got a chance to be a special player I, I think my favorite one though okay well, just because of the combination of the team, and you've heard me talk about this player, is a little Devin Asiasi from UCLA. You know, I think you could make the argument he's every bit as talented or not, if not more talented than Cole Komet. Now, there's some off-the-field things. I don't really know what it is. I know he transferred him to Michigan and went to UCLA, and I don't know. There might be a few other things I'm not aware of. But either way, to go to a team who knows how to use the tight end position better than anybody we've ever seen in New England. 
and there was a desperate need for their football team. Uh, and they have a pocket-passing young quarterback where it's very nice to have that big target over the middle of the field. That was my favorite tight end pick of this draft. And the Patriots uh, did it again. They took another tight end later in the draft. So they went there twice. Bill's got something in mind. The Saints taking Troutman out of Dayton. I kind of like that pick. I like them picking up Emmanuel Sanders, getting a talented tight end in the mid-rounds. And as we talked about, helping him out with the protection up the middle. So uh, they had Drew in mind there. and I like what they did. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the, the great thing about what you're saying there to the Saints, Paul, and I think you make great points, it's, they got Drew in mind, and then, mm-hmm. oh, wait, when Drew's not there, these are great advantages to give a new young quarterback who comes right. in, whether that be Taysom Hill or whatever, to go, we can rely on the run game, we can rely on our tight end sets, and ease a quarterback into the way of the NFL that way, too. So uh, I think that's another positive for them. That is the offense. Let's go to the other side of the football and begin uh, with edge. It's, it's the position that's most coveted. In the first round, only two win in the first. Uh, young, second overall to the Redskins, and chase on 20 to the Jaguars. Edge position, who's your favorite one? Yeah, well, those two first-rounders, I mean, they're hard not to love, as we both know. I mean, they're, they're Greek gods. They're like physical freaks of the – I mean, they're, they're unreal. So I, I do love them. But, okay, Terrell Lewis in round three from Alabama, who went to the that? Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. You know, and again – Terrell Lewis, his grade is a first-round grade from just about anybody I've talked to through this process. He's got an injury history, so there's yep. some risk there. Hurt his knee two years in a row, but, man, would it shock me if three years from now we're going, this is Jonathan Abraham from you know the Jets and the Atlanta Falcons, that type of player? I love him as a potential superstar. I mean, I think at the very worst he's going to be a really good football player, but I think that's the one that jumps out to me more than any is the fact that the Rams, who have a very sneaky, talented, good D-line right now, anybody yes. out there. I yeah. mean, holy crap. Holy crap. And then to add this freak to the mix, I mean, this, that could be some scary front seven, uh, the Los Angeles Rams this year. I thought it was interesting that it wasn't a super popular pick in, in the first round. But in rounds two and three, where you expect to get a quality contributor – 10 came off the boards in those two rounds. Yes. Well, there was a lot of quality football players. You know, people, we talked to Seahawks with Darrell, Darrell Taylor from Tennessee. I mean, grown man. I'll tell you another one that jumped out to me that I love. Pick 15 of the second round, Marlon Davidson, the 305 mm. defensive end, 305 pound defensive end from Auburn, where I think he'll really end up moving in and being like an interior pass or interior defensive tackle type but also has that type of ability out there. Man, I love that. And then the Jets and Joe freaking Douglas getting Jabari Zuninga, who was one of my favorites in the third round, Paul. I think, you know, these are guys that have a chance to be, yeah, they they were middle round picks or whatever, but they have superstar potential. And I'm excited to see if they can, you know, reach that, reach that potential. Another tease there, Chris, because I don't know what your top five looks like, but Joe Douglas and the Jets are going to have a home there in, in my one through five as we get closer uh, to the end of our show here. Okay, cornerback. It started at three, Okuda to the Lions, all the way to Gladney at 31 to the Vikings in that trade. But six win in round one. Uh, as expected, it was the most popular position rounds one through seven. You have all kinds of ways to go that, that you can go here with corners. Who's your favorite? 
Well, uh, you know, again, I, I, I think there's two that kind of separate themselves for me. You know, again, with value, we're talking. Yes, I love the top three corners. I thought I was going to be talking about the Raiders corner, um, uh, Damon Arnett, as one of these guys that are like, man, they got some player in the second round. I don't love <laughs> it as much at pick 19. I thought we'd be talking about him. But I think he, the first one is Christian Fulton to the Tennessee Titans at the end of the second mm. round. You know, I, I think you talk to some people. I know I love this kid in the draft process. He's a true island corner. This is a defense that struggled in pass defense last year. And I think he has some nickel and outside versatility. Wherever they need him to play here in year one, I think he'll be fine. That was probably my favorite cornerback pick, you know, uh, as far as value is, concern, is concerned, too. When I was looking at the second round, Chris, and going back to, to your list of top five corners and thinking about the conversation we had, a couple of weeks ago about the best available in the draft. I'm not surprised you went Fulton. I thought you might go 10 before. At 51, the Cowboys found Trayvon Dix. Uh, that, that was going to be my next one. Uh, that's my honorable mention. You know, yes, they, they lost Byron Jones. And now, whoa, you get another starting outside corner in round two. You know, I think a lot of guy, a lot of people in football had him somewhere between 25 and 40 in the draft. He ends up out of the first round, but size, unbelievable strength and jam at the line of scrimmage. And then, Paul, I know we talked about this. He's Stephon Diggs' brother, and he's got the best ball skills in the draft out of the cornerback position. He's great in zone. He really has a feel for what the offense is trying to do, and he knows how to read the quarterback's eyes. And I'm telling you, if he gets a hand on the ball, he's going to catch it. He's like his brother that way. So, Yes, the Cowboys absolutely killed it with that pick right there. When you think about the safety position, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, who comes to mind? Damn, you know, all my man crushes went off on day two. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I couldn't believe it. But I, I think, number one, I'm going to my Buccaneers with getting Antoine Winfield Jr. I mean, I, I love Antoine Winfield Jr. He was arguably one of my favorite players in the draft. Um, so the fact that they got him at pick 44 or 45, I think right. it was total, uh, and they need that position badly. Yes, I, that, that to me would be probably my favorite one with my man from Lenore Ryan, Kyler Duggar at New England Patriots being my second favorite. I wanted to ask you about that because, I mean, Bill Belichick laid out the, the perfect question for someone like me to ask you. So at 37, Bill Belichick says, okay, safety. Could have had Grant Delpit, could have had Antoine Winfield, could have had Jeremy Chin, a prospect we both like a lot out of Southern Illinois. What do you think about him going with Duggar instead of those three guys? Well, I had Duggar as one of my top five safeties in the draft. I put him number four only because I was chicken crap, Paul, because I just went, damn, I'm not sure about the level of competition. You know, this is one of those guys that you'd really like to see in person a little bit just to go, okay. You know, he looks like a giant in, in that type of football and looks really gifted, you know, but is it because of the lack of competition he's playing against or is this real? It looked very real on film to me. I mean, one of the things I wrote down was his, like, ceiling is Sean Taylor-ish. I mean, he's, he's got somebody to be that size and be able to move the way he moves. It's, it's, wor it's warranted of a top 40 pick. And we know New England likes those kind of guys, right? Oh, you're going to play yeah. Travis Kelsey in the playoffs? You got Duggar to cover him. You know, he's going to be great linebacker, strong safety, 
be able to match up with big receivers or big tight ends and be a pain in the ass for them. That's where the, the true beauty of this pick is for New England. Are you down on the wide receivers at Limestone? They didn't show you much on tape? <laughs> yeah, I'm a little down on them. I wasn't sure. I thought some of them, I might be able to beat them in a race, so I wasn't <laughs> sure about that. Defensive tackle. It was fun listening to your podcast that you did with Ahmed because I, I could tell how much you love both of the top two guys. Uh, Brown, he goes in the top 10 to Carolina. Kinlaw, you talked about him a little bit. He's now in San Francisco. But you can have one of those two if you'd like to talk about here with this topic. But I give you all the defensive tackles that win in the draft. Who's your favorite? Yeah, well, I mean, those top two are special. I mean, there's no denying that. You know, I think you probably saw enough even this weekend just on the highlights to go, you know, who the hell are these guys are unbelievable. I mean, just to be that size and move the way they move, unbelievable. All right, there's two that jump out. My first one is Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma. The fact that the Dallas Cowboys got him in round three. I had some arguments with the, about this guy with some friends of mine in the NFL, Paul. Like some true arguments. Because, one, I think he was the best interior pass rusher in the draft, you know, other than the top two guys that we saw, right? Mm -hmm. So he's special that way. And I know I had some defensive coach friends and people were – they really docked him because – you know, what I would say was more scheme-related stuff from Oklahoma rather than evaluating the player. Oklahoma loves to do stunts and slants and, hey, you're in this gap, but we want you to run full speed two gaps over and be the one that stops that gap. Well, that's nice, but, you know, people are, when you're running over there, are blocking down or pulling or pushing you, and you can't always just stop in the gap with a 310-pound guy on your back as you ran there full speed. Like, Nobody can do that. I don't think the Hulk can do that. I'm not sure. I'd have to check. Okay? So that <laughs> bothers me in the evaluation. But to me, to get this damn guy in the interior, the Dallas Cowboys, where they just got freaks galore on their defense already, yeah. that was the yeah. one I loved the most. Yeah. Am I remembering this correctly? In, in our mock draft, you had him in the first round, right? I did. I had the Seattle Seahawks taking him late in the first round. And that's where yeah. it kind of got me – you know, I got into Saturday, and we got in the second round, and I started texting some friends around the NFL, like, hey, dude, what's up with Neville Gallimore? Is there something I don't know about him? I, You know, I, I, you know me, Paul. I put myself out there always. I'm, Hey, I thought he was a first-round pick, blah, blah, blah. You know, I got a lot of people going, he's got first-round traits. He's got first-round talent. And then I kind of got into the defensive coach. I, I texted with a lot who was a little bit like, you know, he's not great at gap integrity and keeping his gap. And that's where I kind of got in that text, mes text message feud there. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Only time will tell whether I'll be right or nameless defensive coach will be right. <laughs> and we'll find out if this feeling that I have, that the Cowboys had great value in rounds one, two, and three with positions they needed and where they found guys as opposed to where we had them ranked. I'm anxious to see if it plays out the next few years the way I think it is. And that's like yeah. the Cowboys had a pretty good draft. Definitely. We have one position left, one left, linebacker. I told you on Friday how much I love Patrick Queen going to the Ravens late in the first. So you can have any one of these guys as the one who comes to mind first, who counts as your favorite. What's the name? You know, I'm going to go with a first rounder here. And I love your Patrick Queen. I'm with you. I just want this to get a more, little more love. And, I, you know, I, I love the Kenneth Murray pick by the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, one, I'm going to give it some extra value because they get a quarterback with pick number six. 
but then make a big time move to trade back up into the first round, I believe with the Patriots at the time, and get a difference making player for your defense to where now I go, whoa, like watch out for this defense this year. Like I was already going like what the Chargers defense could be one of the best in football. Now I'm going, whoa, it will be one of the best in football. It's just going to be, is it the best or the second best or the third best? I mean, that's really what it's come down to to me. Wow. But Murray, wow. yeah. You know, Murray, to be 242 and move the way he does. And the biggest thing to me, Paul, and I'm always scared of Big 12 linebackers because it's a seven-on-seven conference. You know, this guy, he's an SEC mentality. He liked getting in the nitty-gritty and, oh, pulling guards, let me smash you. And, oh, uh, you know, I'll take on, I'll fill this gap and take on the fullback or do whatever he's got to do. He's got a true physicality to his game. This is not just some pretty athlete running around. And I think in that scheme, that's the Seattle Seahawks scheme there. This is going to be their Bobby Wagner. And man, when you just look at that Chargers defense with those two pass rushers and Lindell Joseph on the inside and Jerry Tillery, who was a first round pick last year. And now you the second level, you start talking about like, Kenneth Murray and Derwin James, who's Derwin their James, version yeah. of Cam Chancellor. You just go, right. holy defense, Los Angeles. And that, that excites me. A quiet part of that excitement, I think, when I look at that Chargers defense, he doesn't get a lot of credit. Not a real well-known name, but Drew Tranquil out of Notre Dame, a mid-round pick last year, had a nice rookie season. Maybe not going to be a star, but you put him next to Murray, and I think that makes Murray even better. I, I do too. I mean, you know, we, we've gotten to see Tranquil so much in person. He just, he does everything well. He understands mm-hmm. the game. You know, they'll find whether he's the starting linebacker in the right base defense. Hey, I don't know, but he's going to have plenty of snaps because of his versatility and his ability to match up and certain personnel sets with the opposing offense. And then Paul, I mean, we get into Casey Hayward, Chris Harris Jr., you know, pretty good safety play there in the Chargers. I mean, they're just one of those teams I look at right now and go, damn, that AFC West, holy talent out there. It's it's really impressive. Right. I like where you went there because you not only like the player, but you tied it all together with the other levels of the defense and how he fits in and how he makes a, a budding strength of a team with really nice young players, how he makes them probably even better or hopefully even better if you're Tom right. Telesco. So, uh, that brings us very well into the top five teams because maybe the Chargers will show up in your top five. But we're going to go one through five. You get your favorite. I'll point out my favorite. We'll just ping pong it back and forth until we get all the awesome. way to five. So uh, I can tell you're enthusiastic about what a number of GMs did. So this probably wasn't easy for you to pick your favorite one. Uh, but who it. makes it at the top of the list? Well, number one, I'm going to go to Baltimore. You know, I think anytime you start going through this draft and you start going, whoa, you know, it looks like they hit on three players. And then when you start, if you hit on three players in the draft, and again, I know we'll see how this all plays out. But just where I say hit, I mean, guys that I saw like special talents and now with the scheme and team itself, it's the right fit. That's what I mean by hitting on a draft pick. And when you see three by one in one draft, you go, mm, that team had a good draft. When you start to see four and five, you go, holy cow, they killed it. And Baltimore killed it to me. I mean, the fact that you talked about Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU, I mean, he's got Baltimore written on his forehead. He's the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. J.K. Dobbins, 
I mean, arguably the best home run hitting running back in the draft to go with the unbelievable O-line and that quarterback. You know, uh, Madhu Buke, the defensive tackle from Texas A&M. I mean, Baltimore, nobody is better at collecting the biggest, baddest fucking dudes on the planet than mm-hmm. Baltimore on a yearly basis. Right? It's unbelievable. And then get my one of my receivers from Devin, Devin Duvernay from Texas who's built like a running back, and he's going to be tough over the middle and speed sweeps and things like that. He ran 4-3-9, so now you got him and Hollywood Brown on the field. And then Malik Harrison, who I love, a thumping middle linebacker at the end of round three. Round three, the Ravens killed it. They got three guys that will really contribute to their football team right off the bat. So I got to give Eric DaCosta and and the rest of the Ravens organization a, a standing ovation for what they did once again. And even if you stop right there, just with the picks you talked about, it's worthy of being number one. It makes perfect sense. You didn't even get to the guards in rounds three uh-huh. and rounds four. And Marshall Yonder retires. So it's like Baltimore just gets it. They not only end up with talented, productive players uh, from Ohio State and LSU in rounds one and two. Then, you know, somebody raises their hand, probably Eric DaCosta, and says, you know what? We lost a future Hall of Fame guard. Let's get a couple. One of them probably can play. We'll plug them in there. They get one in round three and one in round four. Well, you're exactly right. And they have a special eye for offensive talent. I mean, you know, there's a reason for like, it seems like for like the last 10 or 11 years, we're going, Baltimore's got one of the biggest, most powerful offensive lines in football. Yeah, because they're just one of those teams like Mike Zimmer with DBs or, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers with wide receiver or Andy Reid with offensive linemen. Baltimore the same way. It's like, they got a tree in the back that's like just growing big, big fuckers on the offensive line. And they're like, yeah, we'll take him, <laughs> plug him off. We need him. And yes, specifically the kid from Mississippi State, Tyree, Tyree Phillips, he's got a chance. He does. He's got Baltimore written all over him. Road grader, tough, powerful, just needs to be coached, was in a raw offense in Mississippi State. But yes, I did like that pick a lot. And you mentioned Duvernay, the wide receiver from Texas. They also in round six took a wide out from SMU. And maybe the same mentality with the guards, hey, we'll take two. Maybe one uh, turns out it can play. If one of those two wide receivers can be a nice quality part of the rotation for Lamar Jackson, I just like that they, even though he was the MVP last year and deserved it, they want him to be better. And if they could find one young receiver to be part of that rotation, maybe the third or fourth guy, then it was a nice draft that way. So just all the yeah. way around. Uh, it's uh, it's easy to stand back and say, nice job, Eric DeCosta. It's it's killer. It's killer. With those tight ends, that run game, J.K. Dobbins, the offensive line, Hollywood Brown, and I really think Duvernay can be like almost a Debo Samuel-ish type player. You know, a lot of balls over the middle, fearless that way. Here's a speed sweep. Here's a reverse. So, yeah, you know, Paul, to your point, which you made back on Friday, Baltimore always has a plan. They know what they're trying to build as a football team. They don't ever seem to vary away from that. And that's why they're usually one of the cream of the crop teams in the NFL. My number one team is also in the AFC. It's the Indianapolis Colts. And I apologize if they're going to show up on your list two through five. I might step on you here a little bit. Uh, But follow me here. I mean, taking a step back from just the draft, when you look at the offseason roster cutting, roster adding, all the things you do to put that, uh, that puzzle together, all with the idea in mind, we're going to be harder to beat next year than we were last year. And how can we do that? So number one, they get Phillip Rivers, a big-time upgrade at the quarterback spot. So you already have that. They're starting out 
maybe in the, or the B or A range. So then they trade the number 13 pick for DeForest Buckner. So people may get excited or upset. Oh, we don't have the 13th overall pick. You've got DeForest Buckner. So before they even get to the draft, they've got Rivers, they've got Buckner. In round two, they got my favorite wide receiver in the draft in Michael Pittman. And they also get Jonathan Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin that you talked about. So uh, if you're looking at ways or if you look at the draft the way I do that, are we tougher to beat than we were a year ago? I think the Indianapolis Colts through uh, pre-draft moves and then their draft moves. I think they did it better than every other team. Yeah, they were phenomenal. I mean, Chris Ballard, is he's a genius. I mean, there, there is no denying that Chris Ballard's one of the best GMs in the NFL. And, you know, I mean, you're right, Paul. We, DeForest Buckner counts as part of the draft. I mean, that was their 13th, 13th pick. pick. Yeah. That's what they got. Right. Exactly right. And I'll one-up you with what you said about them. They got one of my favorite safeties in Julian Blackman in round three. They need safety help there in Indianapolis. And I think I really love the kid. I thought he was like a Rodney McClown, Sean Davis type talent, extremely athletic ex corner. And then even to take the flyer on the quarterback, not a flyer, but to get Jacob Eason, you know, again, I think this will be Jacoby Brissett's last day, last year with the Colts. Uh, maybe, maybe it goes on longer. I don't know, but you take a guy like Jacob Eason who has big time talent and a big time arm to where, hey, we'll see how it goes. Maybe this guy's our starting quarterback two years from now. And I think there's that's a good thought as well. So I'm with you. The Colts, I thought, they didn't make my top five, Paul, but they were on my list of about eight or nine that I wrote down. Did, did you see, it was kind of deep in Peter King's Football Morning in America article this morning. He talked about Blackman and he, he, he shared, somehow he got a hold of it, a, a letter that he that he wrote maybe in grade school about how he wanted to play in the NFL more than anything else, and just about if, if he worked hard, maybe he could get there. If he did what the coaches told him to do, maybe he could get there. And it's just it's just such a fun concept that the kids dream about this, and then they get that call. And I forget about that sometimes when I'm putting yeah, shit with talent and all that. And to see that line and to think about how his parents must feel seeing that, it's a pretty cool thing. No, it's a really cool thing. I mean, dreams came true for a lot of kids. And right? uh, Blackman's a guy who was, cor- was at corner at Utah, had a little injury, and then they moved him to safety. And Paul, like no joke, was one of my favorite watches in the draft. The way he can run that, around. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he throws his body around for a 190-pound guy, too. Somebody's got to tell him he's only 190. He thinks he's 245. But uh, I-, I like him a lot. I think he'll- he will help out their football team. Okay, so I have um, the Colts as my favorite draft class. You have the Ravens as your favorite. Who do you have at the second spot? I'm going to go number two, okay? A little biased here, but I'm going to go with the San Francisco 49ers, all right? Okay. I am because of not necessarily the depth of their draft, but, again, I think we have to look at what they made happen and the holes they filled. And I'm including Trent Williams in this evaluation because they traded away draft picks to get the best tackle in football when he's playing and healthy and all greased up and ready to go. But then also to get DeForest Buckner replacement and Javon Kinlaw, you know, at pick 14, they they traded down one spot from 13 to 14 and swapped with the Bucks. I look at that, Trent Williams, and then – Shanahan gets one of his favorite receivers in the draft and Brandon Ayuk, who I know he looks at as being like Isaac Bruce. And they were three desperate needs for this football team. I mean, they needed to be addressed in a big way. So 
that to me, even though it wasn't a lot of picks, they crushed it with three three different players that really filled some major holes on their roster. And not just like filled them, I think filled them in an extraordinary fashion with big time talent. Think about volume also with the 49ers, and they didn't have much. I think only five no. total picks. Did, did that almost did that hold you back at all? Did you hesitate there about making them second? It did. It did. I I I did not really want to pick the 49ers, but then when I just thought, man, Kinlaw was a, a top five talent to me. Ayuk was certainly a first round receiver and Maybe I'm not as high on him as my friend Kyle Shanahan is, but I bow to Kyle when it comes to receivers. He's got an incredible eye for talent there. And then to pull off a Trent Williams trade for just the third and a fifth round pick when, you know, also I'm adding this in, Joe Staley, obviously they knew he was going to retire. Obviously they kept Joe Staley to keep it quiet this whole time because as soon as they signed Trent Williams, he released that he was retiring. Yes, so yeah. that to me goes into the draft process and keeping tight lipped mm-hmm. and not telling people and all that too. So yeah, maybe I'm a little high on them. I'm a little biased here, but I think it's just three home run hitters they got to fill to fill. I mean, it's a Super Bowl team that has got richer this weekend. Yeah, I mean, to my point about the Colts, I mean, are, are the 49ers – more difficult to defend than they were a year ago. And they were the second best team. And I think, yes, I I think that on paper, it looks like they have made that improvement. My second team, Chris, I'm going with the New York Jets and Joe Douglas's first draft there. Uh, And I'm going to point mainly at the first two picks and see, hopefully I can explain this the right way. So I don't know Joe Douglas. I'm picturing though, after looking at what he did, he had a thought going in. I want to get a starting offensive tackle. I want to get a starting wide receiver with my first two picks. And what's one thing that we talked about the last six weeks that this wide receiver class, because it was so good in rounds two and three, might cause a GM to resist temptation in the first round and try and come back and get some of that quality later. And I think Joe Douglas did a perfect job of that because at number 11, there wasn't a wide receiver off the board. He could have had any wide receiver he wanted. And with that need, I'm sure he was tempted. But looking ahead to this 59th pick, he probably thought, okay, I also want a starting offensive tackle. Am I going to get a starting OT there with the 59th pick? Probably not. Um, I can probably get one. Better chance I'll get one in the second round at wide receiver. So he goes Becton, the giant offensive tackle with Louisville. Nice pick. I can see why he liked him. Came back at 59 and the 13th best wide receiver, the 13th one off the board was Mims. We'll see if he can be a starter. But I think he manipulated the draft and knowledge and knew exactly what he could get in round two and resisted temptation in round one to get two positions that he had to have for Sam Darnold. Yeah, agreed. I, you know, and, and just so I'll just continue. That's my number three team. Just so we go. So you made them two. I'm making them number three. I mean, the Jets are full of some of my Robin Hood picks. They really are. You know, give it, you know, take it, take it from the rich and give it give it to the poor, okay? They, you know, first off, you hit the top two. Denzel Mims has a chance to be a superstar. I mean, he does. I think he plays to his 4-3 speed that we, on film, you know, he, it sounds like he played last year with a broken hand, so that affected things. But to get Ashton Davis in round three, they need the safety help. I don't think Marcus May is, you know, got a warm, cozy spot on that roster in New York, so I think he could be the replacement there. Jabari Zuninga, who we talked about earlier already, to get him later on in the third round. 
for a team that has a desperate need for pass rushing skill, this guy could be something. He's got a chance. LaMichael Perrine, the running back from Florida. I really liked him. You're going to see him get some carries this year. And then in round four to get the quarterback that we already talked about and James Morgan, you know, that was the right. You got Sam Darnold. You're good. You know, I understand. You know, they got uh, uh, David Fales as their other backup. They needed to address that. I think it's very scary to go into the season with David Fales as your backup. Morgan's got big-time talent, and you might be able to turn him into something before all said and done, and you got him in the fourth round. So I love the Jets draft. I'm with you, Paul, all the way. You know what I love, Chris, is the accidental producing that comes in. I have the Jets at two, brings you right into three. You can fill in some of the blanks and get with more detail. So that worked out well. My team at three might also show up for you at four or five. We shall see. But I have the Buffalo Bills at number three. And even though I mean, they, they waited till the second round to get A.J. Epinesa, I mean, that's, that's great value. And every year, there's somebody who runs a slower time at the combine they should have. They're a little shorter than they should have been, and it causes them to, to go in round two. I think Epines is that guy. So you start right there. But then I go back to the view from 10,000 feet that I'm sure they had in that building after last year. They thought Josh Allen was pretty good, as they should have. A lot more good than bad his first year. But they know he has to be better. If they're going to be good, if they're going to go from nice playoff team to threat to be around late January, he's got to make a couple giant leaps in the next two and three years. So they get Stephon Diggs. They make that trade happen. I know it's not part of the draft, but I count it as part of the offseason upgrade. And then they get the running back we talked about in round three, Zach Moss, a nice compliment to Singletary. He can also directly help Josh Allen. And Gabriel Davis, I don't know him well. I know he was highly productive in college. I just like the execution of a plan that I can see them saying, Josh Allen's got to be a little better or a lot better than he was this year. We're going to put some people around him to help. And that's exactly what they did with the free agency and the trade and also early in the draft. Yeah, they did. And that, you're, you're okay to add Stefan Diggs to that. I mean, you're right. They yeah. traded away a first-round pick. So that's part of their draft. I mean, that's what they used it for. And I'm with you there. And Buffalo, it was. They're not going to make my top five, Paul, but damn, they were really close. I mean, they were one of those teams that I was going, damn, I love this draft. You're right. Epinesa, he's perfect for Buffalo. Man, does Buffalo have some defensive line in front seven? Not only just the starters, the depth is phenomenal. You hit on Zach Moss. I think he's made for that offense. I really do. He's a between-the-tackles you know, extraordinary. He's so quick. He's so explosive to the hole. He will run you over. I mean, I think that is a – they needed a true bell cow-type tailback because now they can use Devin Singletary as their James White, Deion Lewis because they run the New England offense. You mentioned Gabriel Davis. He's great on the outside. 50-50 ball, go balls. Will fit Justin, you know, perfectly with Josh Allen and his skill set. And, hey – I, even in round five with Jake Fromm, I understand the thought process there of a good backup quarterback for your young quarterback for, for years to come. So I'm a huge fan of McDermott and Brandon Bean. You know, again, it goes back to one of the themes we've talked about this whole podcast. They always have a plan. They know what they're trying to do there in Buffalo, and they understand yes. the team they're trying to build, and they never deviate from that, and I respect that greatly. So with all the what nice pieces on, on Josh Allen – I was going to say Josh Allen isn't going to overthrow the intermediate routes by 10 yards now this year, right? Hopefully not. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I, definitely something he needs to work on, but he did show improvement in that last year. And, I, you know, of yes. course, I do th think he's got the talent to get better at it. Um, All right. My number Your four, 14. 
I'm going with the Dallas Cowboys. I am. I know we mentioned them earlier. All right. I probably could have made this team a little higher. It was really hard for me, actually, in this. But when you get C.D. Lamb at 17, your starting corner at 51 and Diggs, what I think is going to be a starting defensive tackle and game wrecker in Neville Gallimore in round three, along with the center from Wisconsin, who I don't know a great deal about. I watched him a little bit. Uh, and not that they need this guy to start right now, but I saw enough to know, ooh, this guy has a chance to be a starter for the Dallas Cowboys in the next two to three years, or at least help out in the interior part of the offensive line in general. You know, I really like what Dallas did. And even the round five pick, Bradley and I, who I thought was one of the better pass rushers out of Utah, little need some help in the run game. But if you're in third and 10, watch for this guy on the edge. He's slippery. He's got a lot of different moves and he's a sack machine. So I, I really liked what the Cowboys did. The Jones family has a great eye for talent, in my opinion. Yes. And this is uh, some more crossover with our selections here. But I'm going to show you, I have Dallas. Dallas with a four next to them as well. So Love uh, it. You, you, you hit it well. And I, I would only say to, to sum it up, you knew the Cowboys coming in would like to have a starting wide receiver. They would like to have a starting corner. And what if you can get CeeDee Lamb at 17? What if you can get Trayvon Diggs at 51? So your, your details there were very good. But just what they did in rounds one or two in terms of what they had to have this year, yeah. um, you have to applaud. Killed it. I mean, killed it. That yeah. offense now, you know, they went from like, whoa, this was the number one offense in football last year. Am I correct about that? They certainly, yes, they were the number one offense in football and you add C.D. Lamb to the mix. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, that's, they're going to be almost indefensible this year. So yeah, good, good for them. They killed it. Cowboys, as we know, they're, they got talent on that football team. All right. My number five goes to the, uh, the new group, the new guys on the block. The Carolina Panthers. All right, I'm going to give the Carolina Panthers some love here. You know, first off, we probably haven't talked about Derek Brown enough, the number seven pick. Uh, I mean, franchise franchise interior defensive tackle. Uh, uh, I said on Twitter on, on Thursday night, he's really just a bigger version of Warren Sapp. I think he's that special of a player. All right, but then to get Yuter Grosmatos in round two, Again, here's a team that had a theme about size, length, physicality. They were going to stick to it. Jeremy Chin, who has a chance to be a superstar safety out of Southern Illinois. Troy Pride, who we saw at Notre Dame as a nickelback. I think mm-hmm. perfect fit as a nickelback for the Carolina Panthers. Ran like a 4-3. So I just look at them and go, there's a theme. They know what they wanted. Their offense did a very good job in free agency, and it has a lot of talent to begin with. It was the defense that needed some some name recognition, some game records, some difference makers, and I think they addressed that through this draft. We got to quit hanging out because I have the Carolina Panthers at number five as well. So uh, I could tell by your reaction that I thought we might have been. <laughs> I, I actually thought it was going to happen with, with, with our first three picks, so I'm glad we made it one, two, three without too much crossover. But Carolina, for all the reasons you mentioned, and just – to have the balls to go with all seven picks on one side of the ball. I mean, that's, uh, that's not something you see very often. I can't wait to see how they use Jeremy Chin. He was one of my favorite right. prospects to get to know in this class. I mean, how much safety is he going to play? How much a hybrid outside linebacker is he going to play? So uh, you get Matt Rule, known for, for the offense that he had in college, and they go all seven defensive picks. I just That one stood out to me in terms of novelty and also the names that they're going to have to plug in there. 
No doubt. And, you know, Matt Rule, I think we saw. Now, this is a guy that's very good friends with Bill Parcells, all right? Mm-hmm. And if you're friends with Bill Parcells and you're from that school of thought, size is important to those people. I mean, Bill Parcells with my dad's teams and the Giants in the, you know, the 80s, early 90s, you know, no one would argue the Giants were one of those teams we talk about, you know, an all-bar team. If a bar fight broke out, the Giants were going to be in the final two or three teams in the NFL. They were full of big people. My dad's come on the podcast before where he's heard Bill Parcells. You know, they're not sure to keep player A or player B. And he would literally just say, it's really close. Let's just keep the bigger fucker. Let's keep the big yeah. dude out there. We'll just keep him right. in, a, in a tie. And Matt Rule showed that, you know, with, with the defensive tackle, the defensive end, Jeremy Chin, to your point, you know, long safety linebacker. I don't know what the hell he is, but he obviously believes in size and length with some of the mm-hmm. acquisitions he made in free agency and in this draft. So uh, he's got a clue, Matt Rule. I've heard nothing but good things about him. He certainly has an eye for talent and knows, I think, how to build a program or an NFL football team. You're talking about Bill Parcells and the old Giants, Chris, reminded me of back in 1992. How old were you in 92? I was 12. You were 12. So you were very familiar with this team. You knew all these guys. But we played in the old kickoff classic which, if you remember, was always the first oh, game of the year. sure. And it was, it was at USC the old Meadowlands. We played NC State. NC State, okay. We played NC State. So we get out there a couple of days before. It's kind of like a little mini bowl game. And we pulled up to, to the old, old uh, Meadowlands Stadium, drive underneath there. First of all, your dad drives by real slowly in a black Mercedes and like, wow, it's Phil Sims. It's Phil Sims. Actually, I'm, yeah, it was a Mercedes. And he, he didn't really stop. It might have been away, a Jaguar. Are you sure it was a Mercedes no, no, or was it a Jaguar? I, I'm not sure. I feel I feel like it was a Mercedes. But a, after okay. Phil drove by, and he was all dressed up. He probably had he, he had some place to go after practice. But I remember walking right by Leonard Marshall and thinking, and he was a D tackle. I'm like, I, I've not seen a chest and arms and, and ass like that ever. I'm not. I, I don't know if I want to make it to the NFL if the league is full of guys <laughs> like that. But that's yes. right where my mind went when you talked about the kind of players that that uh, Rule probably likes based off his relationship with Bill Parcells. No doubt about that. These they, they're they're size believers. And yeah, you talk about an '86 Giants defense or 1990 Super Bowl defense, and you talk about Lawrence Taylor and Jim Bird and Leonard Marshall and Harry yeah. Carson and Carl Banks. Uh, a lot of big dudes, linebackers that are 255 pounds and 260 pounds, let alone defensive tackles and defensive ends that were 290, 300 pounds. So, yeah, they had some ass kickers for sure. Uh, and, hey, there's still some teams. We see the Baltimore Ravens. They're that way. They believe in size. They're going to try to beat you up physically that way. You know, the New England Patriots are still big believers. Of course, the Bill Belichick, the same way. So it is always an interesting discussion between do you believe in – size and beating a team up physically or do you believe in like speed and creating chaos out on the football field you can win either way and there's plenty of examples of either way i tend to lean on the size side uh yes. but certainly but certainly you know have been on some teams i in tampa we were a speed team and you can you can win that way i just i prefer sides your dad playing for Bill Parcells is the reason you're a legs and ass guy, Chris. I just put it together. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, I am. Yes. I mean, the quarterbacks had a squat. They had to get legs and ass to be on that New York Giants <laughs> team, let alone even, you know, being taught how to look at players through Bill Parcells' eyes. So, yeah, it was a good one. But it was a good draft, Paul. I think we hit a lot today. It was awesome stuff. 
Good, good by you as always. Great conversation. And we'll be back. I'm not even sure what day I'm coming back for the podcast. Yeah. It might be Wednesday, might be Thursday. I haven't got that yet, but we will have another podcast this week where we're going to break down more of what was going on in the draft. We might hit on some other details we've missed. And of course, news and notes and everything else that's going on throughout the NFL. Pete did a little, little lightest, just said it's Thursday. We'll be doing the podcast. <laughs> but Paul, you the man, homie. Be good. Good to see Thanks you, man. Thanks for everything. All right, dude. We'll see you soon. Peace out. All right. Peace out, everybody. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.